everybody, just an announcement before we start the show. We are on the web at albumorientedpodcast.com. That's albumorientedpodcast.com. Make sure you uh, bookmark that and check often for new episodes as we put them up. Also, we're on Facebook, facebook.com front slash albumorientedpodcast. And uh, there you can like us and comment and uh, hold forth in spirited debate about these uh, top 100 lists. Also, subscribe and give us great reviews on iTunes and all the other places where you can get podcasts. Two, three, four. One, two, three, one, a two. A one, two, three. Two guys who grew up during the album era. Two lists of the 100 albums of all time. This is Album Oriented. For the purposes of dramatic conflict, and also based in reality, I am Eric Kurtz, the apologetic indie snit anglophile who never stops paying attention to mainstream music. And I am Daniel Nestor, the unapologetic mainstream champion who watched every episode of 120 Minutes and has pockets of obscuro factoids. Well, here we are, episode 89. 80s. It happened. What were you doing in 1989? What part of Indiana were you in? (laughs) (laughs) I was in Terre Haute. (laughs) That's how the natives say it. The high earth. Um, (laughs) Push and struggle. (laughs) And and, and, uh, not Terre Haute, but, but Kurt Vonnegut from Indiana as well. Really? Yeah. He has a Schenectady connection as well. He, like, lived here for a while. That's all I know. All right. This is going nowhere fast. Nowhere fast. 89. I was in uh, the middle of Illinois at, at undergraduate school. Just How about you? Where were you in 89? Uh, Camden, New Jersey. Okay. Undergraduate <laughs> studies. <laughs> at least trying to do it. Oh, what a good year. But we're not really covering that year <laughs> has not no, at all nothing to so do that with so this entire it's, it's like the ob, the inverse or obverse or whatever it's yeah like yeah. 98 is what we're talking about we we're transposing the late 90s yeah yeah uh, so 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 today is episode 89 episode 89 uh we're calling it episode 89 because 
Not because we've had 89 episodes, but because we're going over the 89s from two lists. That's right. And we don't like when we have allergies to the maths. We've explained. As the Brits call it. We've explained the two lists in the intro uh, stuff that we just recorded again. Uh, but just to recap, I, w- I will be presenting something from the NME list. Right. Uh, 1997 release by Sleater Kinney. Dig me out. Dig me out. What are you going to present? I'm presenting on... I mean, I know, but our listeners don't. No, right. Airs Moon Safari. <laughs> Aptly titled Moon Safari. <laughs> why, did you From, have, why did you have to say it like... <laughs> <laughs> like you were some quiet storm you know, DJ? Because <laughs> if... Well, because oh, that... Oh, yeah. Because... Jesus. Because the album feels that way. So so well done, Air, on the aptly titled Moon Safari. And I'm really happy that you have the mid-year pick, because I am really tired of picking albums from the 90s, God you, damn it! You have had quite a string of early 2000s, late 90s picks somehow. I'm going to pick a Backstreet Boys album just to fuck with you. <laughs> I, I, look, the problem is I'd be glad to talk about the Backstreet Boys. Oh, really? I would be. Wow. I mean, just to talk about it. As, a, as an academic specimen, right? That's right. Yeah. No crying is involved. All right, so... And we got no Mojo subs for the first time in a while. I thought that is a Mojo sub. Oh, I'm sorry. There is a Mojo sub, oh, Baby Pop. I'm already... Right, well, well I, suppose I should have mentioned that. So, originally, to the, for this episode, Lauren Hills, the miseducation of... Lauren Hill. With Same a, with, spelling. With a capital She's O. She's not talking about some other Capital Lauren O for the preposition. Yeah. <laughs> Lauren Hill. From 1998. From 1998. But we're going to talk about Lauren Hill's excellent album later on the list. Uh, but again, so this this would have been, this might have been the the all-female podcast had we... It could have been. Would have, you know, I'm not sure. We uh, we thankfully have some uh, non-white dudes as in the next stretch in the 80s, which is nice. We've got PJ Harvey, Dolly Parton, Roxy Music, which, as we know, is pretty much chick music already. <laughs> um, so that's nice. But but instead of Lauren Hill, you have Air, which are French people, and I mean that's pretty pretty feminine. Pretty pretty yes, yeah, right. <laughs> feminine. Yes, and uh, Sleater Kinney, as we know, are all women. That's that was with a Y. Not as feminine as air, somehow. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Interesting, guess, interestingly yeah. enough, <laughs> we've dug ourselves <laughs> quite a hole. Yeah, <laughs> dig, dig me out now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where are we going? Uh, but this this will be fun. And and your your uh, mid year pick, your mid year kicker pick, we call it a kicker because it's the third segment, is from either 1997 or 1998. So nice little two year stretch you gave yourself there. I think this is Earthsea. the second time this has happened where everything we talked about was in a, a given year. And then the kicker pick then had to be in the same uh, era. So. Well, our last episode came close, and I have to say, I kind of regret, you know, I, I, I picked regrets. I kind of regret, you know, picking Josh Rouse, not because it's no. not a great album, but because because it's a top 100, and we have to like make sure that these albums. Uh, um, I don't know. Somehow, I think the and this is probably the the problem that these top 100 list makers run into is that they have to not be so much personal but almost academic that they Mm. have to stand the test of time because of not just music but because of cultural influence importance and um all that sort of stuff josh rouse 
has he influenced the generation of singer-songwriters since his, <laughs> his 1972 album, which is great. Maybe, maybe, because people are using flutes more and, <laughs> and, and full orchestration. I'm not sure. I just saw uh, Bahamas in concert recently and and you know no hmm. flutes but but it was like a full band kind of sort of folk rock but f- with full instrumentation who's that guy uh from illinois or at least he has the album in his title sufjan Suf- sufjan stevens i yeah. said it right yeah uh so you know he's sort of known Super for that right. yeah. you know that the touchstone at least Cham- chamber pop Chamber pop, yeah. From, yeah, and I think you know the OGs, your micro genres, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so so maybe so maybe that, but I probably should have picked Beck's Sea uh, um, Change. Was I it too was it too have. obvious? Or? I think so. I don't know, but but boy, I listened to it since we last talked, and it's a great, it's, it's a great, great album, so great, great great album. Yeah. So anyway, that's my regrets or corrections or, or whatever. I, I have a, gr- a regret from several episodes ago. Oh, you do. <laughs> I uh, converted some of our. This is too. T- Technical talk for a second. Uh-huh. Converted some of the wave files over to MP3s, even though we're still in post on mm-hmm. some of these, just so I could hear what crap we've been talking. Right. <laughs> right. At any rate, uh, when I talked about the cars that one time, and I was I was regretting there wasn't a Bowie pick in 1978. Um, interestingly, I, I found myself. I said he was working on low. No, he just finished low. So I'm retiring. I. I, I <laughs> <laughs> your your your, your, your correction is that you didn't get the exact to the month yeah. Bowie chronology that's cr- right. That's correct. That's right. <laughs> that is so like I've whatever. Lost, I've lost sleep <laughs> since then. Oh my god! I said I said low was a year yeah. a year later. Well, it took Queen to pretty much save his career anyway. A couple of years later, <laughs> resuscitate it rather. <laughs> he was. I was reminded when I when I because I I listened to that and I was like. Oh my God, that's wrong. <laughs> and then when I double checked, it, it does remind you that during the seventies, you couldn't just release. I mean, not only did you have to release one album a year, you better release two albums a year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh I mean, yeah. Yeah. So it was low and then it was heroes, both of them in 77. Right. Right. And then he released a double live album in 78. Oh, that one's great cuz I think that was the one recorded with uh at the Adrian, Tower Theater. Adrian, yeah, Adrian, Adrian Ballou is a guitar player and No. Actually, I don't think so. I think Earl Slick I'm is on sure. that album. I think it's called Stage. I think is it the oh, one maybe, you're Oh, maybe maybe it's not the one that I'm thinking of, but Earl Slick is a fucking monster on. It's great. Anyway, just live stuff before he got to Lodger in 79, so. Where was the cover album in, in all that? Is that Diamond Dogs? The is that right? I think, I mean, they should really, artists should put out more cover albums, I think. I really do. There's a great podcast called Cover Me, and right, they right. have these, like, themed things and stuff. And to make a plug for the for the AV Club's great series where they have a list of songs. Oh, yeah. And whatever band comes from Chicago, they have to pick from whatever's left over. You know who <laughs> So, like, it? if you're at the bottom of the list, that's the song you're... Well, you know who nails it every you're time. You're doing Billy Ocean, and, yeah. the, and that's all there is to it. Is that the who one did, you're picking? Who, no, but you know who nails it every time? Tell me. Is who did Billy Ocean? Uh, costumes, metal. Guar. Guar nails it every time. They do. They did get out of my dreams and put in Bob O'Reilly. <laughs> every it doesn't even matter because it's Guar. <laughs> oh, they're great. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, look that one up, kids. All right, and adults alike. And adults alike. So, uh, so let's get right down into it, shall we? When uh, we we're, return, we're gonna. When we return, we're gonna go to who? Uh, going to the moon on the safari. Two French dudes. How else? How else would you go? <laughs> how else would you go to the moon? 
passed me so slowly The days were on the knees Maybe I'll take something to help me Hope someone takes after me There's always a change in the weather This time I know we could get it together If you would stay here tonight Oh, that would be crazy tonight That's what I meant to say or do something But what I never say is stay this time I really meant to so bad this time For you can never really tell When somebody wants something you want Air on Moon Safari from 1998. Electronic music had uh, been around for a while. Last time we saw each other, actually, we were talking about grime, but we before that we talked about garage music mm-hmm. and the way that European house had taken over most of Europe while, you know, Spin Magazine kept, it kept predicting that electronic music was going to take over America. Mm-hmm. And it kept not happening (laughs) over and over again. To the point where I think even Eminem, like, in his, like, disverse of Moby, you know, like. (laughs) Exactly. You know. Exactly. I mean, um, I mean, you know, Prodigy, what was that? uh, uh, Oh, well, Firestarter was the the big hit from Prodigy. And, uh, you know. I have a friend, a good friend, who was friends with the people from Prodigy. Is that right? One of the, like, one of the people from Prodigy. And he rem- I remember him bragging about this quite often, and I was like, I'm not impressed. <laughs> Their electronic music does not matter. It's, it's not real. It's, not, it's like, oh, he's the guy who jumps around with the mohawk. Great. <laughs> I mean, it is really interesting to think about. I mean, of course, we are f- fully into electronic music now. Is yeah. EDM, I guess we've called it now, is fully taken over the airwaves, but... Um, 15 years ago, they were still, I mean, you know, the Chemical Brothers in the 90s were gigantic, and Prodigy was gigantic, and there was a wire, and they're filling arenas in Europe, and electronic music was going nowhere in America, and it just came down to, we like guitars, you know? Well, now it's... And you you, you sympathize with that. Yeah, you fast forward almost 20 years, and it's... uh it's all EDM all the time. The most depressing aspect is like some report from a festival and like David Guetta is like filling, a, you know, a tent and like, I don't know, Violent Femmes as like 30 people or what, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if that's the accurate, but, but I mean like, you know, they'll have these artists going on at the same time in these different areas of a festival, usually in England and everybody's under the EDM tent with like glow in the dark sticks and shit like that. Meanwhile, people- why, why, I don't understand why it took, a tw- took us 20 years. I mean, because some of these... Because we resisted rightfully is the reason. <laughs> just like, just because yeah. we're America. David Guetta, uh, Dead Mouse, um, uh, Ovici, you know, I mean, these people... You stumped who, me with that last one. The other ones I've heard of, you've at least heard about, the, yeah. yeah. I, I, I probably could play a song for you and you say, oh, okay, that that's Avicii. But it, it is a sort of a strange thing where... Yeah, they, these it wasn't just electronic acts, but the DJs themselves. I mean, last time we we talked, we talked about how 
Those early Chicago DJs were fine using drum machines in the studio to find ways to get between tracks, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't long before then Electronic Arts themselves and started to make their own songs out of the in-between stuff that they themselves had created, right? So the DJs themselves had become elevated by the, by the late 80s, at the very least, uh, in England and in Europe. In America, we were like, we're not paying top dollar for watch some because you know, I, <laughs> I've been to a bar mitzvah. I'm not paying. <laughs> you know, what was the? I've been to I've been to a wedding. Why would that guy get command an, uh, an arena? You know, and trying to remember the line from Wayne's World, like it looks like a couple of monkeys at a you know at a couch. I forget the name of the couch. <laughs> You're still, you're still. I think I think I'll use your words. I'm stridently ambivalent about <laughs> about this entire development. Although now we've kind of gone full circle, where you have I don't know Santa Gold, you know, use you know artists who are using oh, EDM type, type, you know, uh, they're informed by electronic music, but they're doing like actual songs, right, and song structures. So and uh, and playing some instruments and stuff on top of it, but yeah, yeah, but, and, uh, and then the last. I guess 25 years now I've been to plenty of shows where I've, I've, I've seen a guy up there on stage with a laptop. Half the time it's DJ spooky, by the way. I love DJ spooky, but that's, that's a conversation <laughs> for another time. But, uh, he like played every arts event in the, in the late nineties. Of course, of course he did in, in Manhattan. In, in Manhattan. Yeah. Um, yeah, but there was an, in, in this, oh my, it's so loud. I, there was this one time, I think it might've been Fortet or something name drop <laughs> quartet any rate and i was having this like blissful moment and i'm thinking it, oh this is the moment where you know he looks down and notices that the volume knob is not up the right way like and <laughs> fixes it and then we all just vaporize somehow you know <laughs> and, but it would have been all right at that particular moment mm-hmm. um but yeah that that sort of like uh, americans were not interested in turning out for a guy in front of a laptop yeah for a very very long time and i, I guess we are now i guess we are yeah, as I mean, as uh, but, but not, but but for not that much money. I went to see uh, James Murphy from LCD Sound System yeah. DJ, pretty much as a consolation prize to myself. As a DJ, not with the ba- but as right, a, right. With the, as the band, he had a band. When he right, performed I, I tried to see one of the farewell shows for LCD Sound System and was like, like many others, locked out of the ticket. Oh, buying process. I thought you went. No, I totally wanted to go. Oh. And then a couple months later, you know, I think I signed up for that or had to sign up for the mailing list and found out he was. DJing at some club in in uh, Williamsburg, and and I went, and it was it was fine. I mean, uh, and he was properly DJing like other people's music and and mixing it and and stuff like that. I, I you know I'm just too old for that stuff. I think I was too old when I was 25 <laughs> for that stuff. <laughs> but I think that some of the you know there's the cream of that crop as with every little sub sub genre is is wonderful, and I think airs uh, Moon Safari is definitely. Well, nice segue. All that. That, that's stuff. why I'm, that's why I'm hanging out in this area just yeah. for a moment is because it air sits in this electronic music category, except for in this very unique way, which is why I think they show up on this list, which is instead of the latest and greatest in drum technology, um, they had brought back the Moogs and stuff that we were talking about right. <laughs> with the with. Um, the birds, you know, the, the birds brought in this thing <laughs> called the Moog <laughs> in the late sixties. And now here and 30 really, years later, he, you know. <laughs> yeah, and really took off in the seventies. And now here, um, air had not only brought in those sounds, but also 
uh, the chord changes and stuff that were so very specific to the early 70s, late 60s. Um, Burt Backrack inspired uh, m- mood pieces that no electronic acts were doing at the time. Mm-hmm. And so they were very French uh, <laughs> in this in this way. Were they recherche? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there. Yeah, there was this way, in which is a sort of a uh, like a retrofuturism. You know, yeah. it's uh, electronic music, but it's electronic music that's evoking something from a few, a couple of decades uh, beforehand. Yeah. So I'm gonna start off with "Simetonla," and that meant um, I think it means that that morning. I think it's that morning. French, anybody? Francais? Yeah, that morning. I'm gonna go with it anyway, so we can get into the, get into the vibe. I thought it was the morning la. The morning after. Oh. No, it's that. All so right. drop drop the needle. The morning that. That morning. morning the next morning you think the, that that morning that I, morning that sounds like the past well it's a good it's a good song title for a band that is evoking the past here and so we call it electronic album but there's so many organic instruments in this particular song already like real bass guitar and perhaps a sampled guitar but certainly these horns come in that are are um organic horns I think there's a certain mood that, you know, I mean, I really love uh, the Man and the Woman soundtrack. Francis Lai's hmm. Man and the Woman soundtrack. La, 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 And it sort of has that laid back, just the mood and the feel over over everything. Right, right, um, right. So I, I, I remember when this came out and I loved it. And I, I actually felt quite proud of myself because I was like, at last, an electronic album that I like. <laughs> and I think for me. I think I was not alone in that, at least in America. But this is from the NME list, is it not? I believe that's true. Yeah. So uh, I wonder if this appears on of course any American top 100 list. I don't know. They didn't really make a dent. But yeah, I got on on the ground floor as well. I got it when it came out. And uh, it was like, yeah. Yeah, finally, no, I was listening to a lot of electronic music by then. But finally, well, maybe as a fan, you were thinking, "Oh, at last, something has sort of hit 
the bigger stage rather than just EDM nerds, you know, listening to, you know, other electronic <laughs> music albums or whatever. That I hate to say this, but but back in the nineties, it was called IDM, that sort of Aphex Twin, Auditor yeah. yeah. type. And now you want me to tell you what that means, IDM? No, I think no. I think I know irritable know? bowel syndrome. I know what that means. <laughs> okay, this is like a family show. This came out from. No, can I tell you though? Can I yeah, tell go you? for it because yeah. it's it's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Intelligent dance music. Get the f- no. It was that no. Was, that was the genre. I, I thought this IDM. came out from Astral Works, but it, it doesn't say that there. Astral Works was a label that put out a lot of this type of music and I remember I had a friend who was really into just anything that was put up by Astral Works A S T R A L so I guess that's how I got hip to this stuff when it came out or maybe every rock critic in the world was writing about this at the time it got a lot of press it, really, it was French it really they were did. like oh my god something hip has come out of France you know <laughs> I think that was one of the you know narratives that came out of the out this album yeah and when a quick glance at the album will show that the that not only half the titles are in English but the songs in which um, people sing, it's in English. Right. Right. So there is that sort of bid for international. I mean, acclaim. if you count sexy boy as English. <laughs> <laughs> but I certainly call uh, Kelly Watch the Stars English. Yes. And that was the other song I wanted to play off the, the album. You're not going to play. You're not going to play the hit single Sexy Boy. I think that was wasn't that like it was the, one of them. The, Kelly Watch the Stars uh, got some. Did it? Made some dent someplace. The, the, in a lot of and, ways, and the dent might have been in my own brain. You know what's funny, especially like with the last episode with 2002, 2003 or whatever, and this episode, you know, this is an album oriented podcast, but it's hard in this starting around that era to really differentiate like what was an actual single because a lot of times singles weren't even released from these albums. And if they were, it was that's right, it was what maybe in England people cared about that stuff and actually made the charts in England, whereas you know, it was all you know. And Backstreet Boys, you know, or what, you know, like just mindless pop stuff making the charts, like in uh, Britney Spears or whatever, making the charts in America. So, yeah, and they were still pulling singles off those albums, but um, albums like Moon Safari, they would just drop the album, and whoever right. decided there was a song off there that they wanted to play. This is definitely play. not a pro radio podcast. I think we can agree on that. <laughs> At least American radio. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Let's listen to a little bit of uh, Kelly Watch Stars, which gets. M- I mean, I wanted to play that very French Simotan uh, La to begin, but only about half the album sounds um, that sort of hazy. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever saw Sophia Coppola's The Virgin Suicide. Oh yeah, I was about to say like that. That yeah. came after this. It right? did. It did. And that's uh, that's where I she was listening to this album. I think that I think that song might. Maybe Some that's versions of that song makes an appearance. Yeah, because there's album. like a everybody's crushing on the one boy or whatever, and sexy boy comes in or something. Yeah, it's well, it actually goes the well. If we want to hang on the Virgin Suicides for just a moment, she uses all the air songs for the ways in which the girls are spelled out in this very gauzy, yeah. sunshine drenched way and dreamy, right? And then she turns that. Um, so it's about the boys' dreams about what the girls aren't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In that film, you know, uh, but then when she, I don't know if you remember this, but when, when she, when Coppola lingers on Josh Hartnett's body for a very long mm-hmm. time and only the ways that, you know, fast times at Richmond high did to Phoebe Cates right, right. a couple of decades beforehand, <laughs> then she plays heart magic, man, magic, man. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, and it's so, you know, 
female rock and uh, and also the scene where she, where she runs out to the car to to jump in the car with him to make out with him and, and plays uh, crazy on you by, by, by heart. So it's like the the female rock versus the the, the French boys and their dreamy atmospheres about these girls wow. that can, ne- can never that. be known. I have to see that movie again. I yeah. think I saw like a. I'm revealing that I've seen it too many times, but. Uh, it's a good. It's a good movie, but, isn't but, it? but you can hear how how well suited that is to that sort of very dreamy atmosphere. Just really, you know, taking place in this glorious moment. But um, they have a few hits on here as well. <laughs> yeah, I said hits, but but songs that went a little <laughs> bit further. They had some beats to them. A couple long distance some, dedications. <laughs> had some had some lyrics in English, which always helps. And my favorite is uh, Kelly. Watch the stars. Let's do this. considered so ridiculous to use by the 1990s that totally. who would who would do that yeah. and yet it seemed the perfect right moment yeah. to do it when this album came out well i think uh you know the time was ripe for a vocoder renaissance <laughs> the have you ever read uh, or heard of the book uh, how to, how to wreck a nice speech how to wreck a nice speech get no. it how to recognize speech oh, uh, by dave yes. Tompkins. it's a great great book and it must mention that here but he he pretty much focuses on you know Zap <laughs> and uh, you know hip hop songs with vocoders and ELO of course. I think there's a vocoder in every other ELO song. I wonder who. Si- I wonder. Oh who- no, they they hired people to sing. They did. <laughs> I mean, would you consider these? There are a couple of really beautiful. Um, I think her name is Beth Hirsch was the name who wrote and sang. Yeah. Yeah, a few songs on this album which are really great. Would you consider Air a precursor or 
you know, in the same family tree as Daft Punk, two other French people who wear mu- motorcycle helmets, but but are uh, no, I, I, obviously that's in, they're very much in distinction to Daft Punk, which is why I think they got some traction. Right, Daft Punk was already pretty big, but they were big in that sort of um, post IDM part of the IDM moment. I don't want to just call it the post IDM mm-hmm. moment, but um, they're not warm and gauzy at all. They're right cold and uh, methodical yeah uh in their in their beats whereas here we hear this you know ju- juicy synthesizer basses which you know w- we're not at home on a Giorgio Moroder single from <laughs> the the late 70s or something there's an air track i always tend to put on mixtapes or whatever or mix cd's um electronic performers that, hmm. i think it's from a later album that that's really great and i think that has vocoder on it as well I would like to discuss like how this made it onto the list in a lot of ways. Like what would be the criteria if you're make if you're in the top 100 and you're at the enemy's offices? I wonder if this is like a consensus pick or is this maybe let's say there's 12 people at the enemy putting together that list which is I don't think is an unreasonable or uh, inaccurate scenario. Or th- this was reissued. Uh, they it got a 10-year I think anniversary yes. reissue. Yeah. Uh, it's that big? I, it was a surprise to me to see that it was reissued. Um, I think I think it went you know gold and and charted you know all over the world except for the United States you know, but I so I guess it would be a consensus pick. Whereas you know um, you know if this was on an American list, you would have to have like four or five out of the twelve people just saying they would quit <laughs> if they didn't include this. <laughs> and I think it would probably be you know accurate to. Uh, or reasonable to think that that would be the scenario if this was like, say, the spin offices or the pitchfork offices even. Well, I, I think so, perhaps somewhat strangely, although mm, without seeing the list in front of me, there, Daft Punk might be later uh, on the list. Mm-hmm. And certainly we get some craft work. But, but why this album? I mean, it seems like there's, not, there's hardly any electronic music recognized on this album, I mean, on the, on the list to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that could be the rockists in them. Although they certainly try and get the hip hop in there to to try mm-hmm. and to, to to balance that out, but you know, okay, we know we need to get get some electronic recognition. Um, let's throw in a band that that's electronic, but nonetheless sounds check. like <laughs> check, check. But but nonetheless sounds like they're you know paying their respects to yeah the traditions right of the sixties and seventies. Certainly, they're the, they're they're among the only French people on these on either list. I think that's true. Know? It's it's it's. It, I want. Are they still putting out albums? I guess they are. I always ask this question. It seems, <laughs> which just is like I'm an ignoramus. <laughs> that's right. Well, I'm only supposed to talk about this one album, <laughs> right? But since I am an air fan, I, I will tell you that I think they're on indefinite hiatus at the yeah, moment, and yeah. that one guy I think is releasing a solo album pretty soon. So that that's an indicator that air might be. That's might a be shame, done. you know. Like when I I didn't know that the streets were on some sort of you know hiatus until I had to present you know the uh, the album last time, and and it's it's kind of sad because you know you know that people are going to pick this up and rediscover this, and you know like. You'd want to see them play live. Yeah, even though I guess they they had never planned on it. Right. They, they just want, well, Electronic Arts, right? They just want to release the albums and let the uh, art stand for itself. But uh, as we well know, artists don't make any money <laughs> with just by right. moving product. you got to get in, people, uh, in front of people and uh, sell some shirts and stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, you know. You can stand behind a couple laptops and make $10,000. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, this is this is a great album, and and uh, you know, it's kind of great work music too. I think you know, it's it's it's. Uh, and it'll scare people away from your cubicle, as as I've mentioned <laughs> many weeks ago. Oh, come on. Simatron La will bring people in to want to hang out and say, hey, could you play it one more time? Yeah, play it one more time. Please. I remember back in the 70s when we were young and innocent and <laughs> playing around the grass. <laughs> but speaking of hiatuses, Sleater Kinney had a long one, didn't they? They sure did. I forget if they had issues or whatever, you know, if there was some sort of, uh, you know, somebody wanted to go solo or something, but I'm glad they're back. That's for sure. And they're back. That new album is pretty and good. And you're going to remind us about it. Yeah. Coming gonna, up next. I'm going di- to dig, dig us out. out. of two guitar attack <laughs> you can't really get much different than air uh, from from that right right and it was roughly the same era that was 1997 dig me out Sleater kenny's third album which is number 89 on the entertainment weekly's top 100 yeah and uh that's the opening track title track we call it in the biz <laughs> <laughs> So it's it's their third album. The cover is a uh, nice little record nerd reference to which album? Mm-hmm. The mm. Kinks Controversy Indeed, album. Indeed, yeah. The Kinks Controversy. I hadn't actually thought about that, but now that I'm looking at it, absolutely. Yeah, so, uh, you know, in a way, so th- there you have a little, you know, like ring kissing, you know, or call back to... Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I hear a lot of Kinks, frankly, in Sleater Kinney. <laughs> there is but, no, uh, so. um This is their first album. This, is, I, you know, to all your Sleater Kinney nerds out there, this might be obvious, but I, I think I had their first two albums or had listened to them and been exposed to them. But I didn't know this was their first album with Janet White Weiss, their, Weiss with, yeah. the, with uh, from Quasi as their drummer. And you know she's a massive, massive drummer. And what's interesting? One of the things that's interesting about Sleater Kenny, and there's a lot of things besides the fact that it's an all-female band, is uh, it's two guitars, drums, right? So we talked a little bit about white, the white stripes, and how that was drums, guitar. That's it. And maybe we we talked about this a bit, but with just guitars, you have a lot of room sonically. Usually, you have to leave room with the bass kind of solidifying the sound, but this was some of the things I was thinking about when we were talking about the White Stripes is that 
it just leaves a lot of sonic room for the guitars to just mm. just take over and really meet the drums sonically without that you know in between uh sound with the, with the bass right. so and then when then when you add in two guitars rather than just you know just jack white you've got this real the the main sonic thing for me besides uh Corin Tucker's voice which is just i mean amazing and amazing live and you know just just this loud wall of vocals is is the intertwining guitars so nobody's really doing yeah. lead per se nobody's really doing rhythm per se that's right but they're they're inter- intertwining with each other kind of like uh we talked a little bit about the libertines and how they're doing how they did that right as well but i think uh you know this is a, a different different animal and uh, so, so those are the things that for me, and I think for a lot of people, is the appeal of Sleater Kinney's. You've got this sort of weird, different sonic palette working, right? And then you've got uh, two people singing. I don't think Janet Weiss sings back up or anything I like don't that. Don't think so, no. And uh, so you've got Corin Tucker, and then you've got um, Christ. How am I forgetting Carrie that? Brown? Carrie Brownstein, of course, yeah. who's sort of like the more light voiced person doing the backup. I don't think she has. She might not take the lead too much on this album, but she does in a in a couple other mm. albums with maybe Corn Tucker taking over the chorus or whatever. But but this is this is a just a kick ass album. There's no other way to put it. Well, there is many other ways to put it actually because <laughs> it's not insignificant. It's an all female band, of course. It's significant that it, that they're a band that um, were indie. They were coming from the Pacific Northwest. That they're yeah. from. The, their family tree includes like Heavens to Betsy and uh, you know other bands that that were you know on uh, even more indie out uh, labels than Kill Rock Stars. I was going to say I think <laughs> this is, is their indie. Fir- I think this is our first time Kill first Kill for Rock Kill Rock Stars yeah. I believe yeah so so you had you know the Butchies you know uh, bands that that had like an like an indie sound like a sort of post Bikini Kill or at the same time as Bikini Kill um, Sonic uh, you know just crash you know not hardcore punk but using the same ethos of diy and you know distribution couch surfing all exactly. that sort of stuff yeah yeah it's this riot girl yeah moment nice pronunciation yeah I, I, i'm not sure but <laughs> they're I'm great not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure if you're supposed to roll the r or, or so you went or, with the tony the tiger <laughs> Kellogg's Frosted Flakes. <laughs> right, right, girl. But they kept going after most of those right girl bands disappeared or, or stopped doing the things they were doing before, like right. like, like Beginning Kill and, and things like that. And I think a lot of people were interested. In Who the, was uh, Smell the Magic? Uh, oh, L, L7. Remember L, L7? Oh, yeah, yeah. They're back together again, you know. Or, well, yeah. it's a trend. Right. But they were they were from like the early '90s, right, or the late '80s even. So then you have this stripped down, clean, you know, gain on the amp, no pedal board, you know, type of situation with Sleater Kenny. And I think the question every article they, they got so much press. I mean, Sleater Kenny, Sleater Kenny, and this yeah. album only sold like ninety seven thousand copies in the first year. So it was very much like a you know aficionado record nerd you know, major urban centers, (laughs) rock press. But it it seemed like they were, even though that's the sales were only that it it ballooned, started balloons uh, slowly and surely. 
slowly but surely. And it seemed like every interview with them was like, how are you going to handle like the mainstream success? How are you going to do this? You know? Mm-hmm. And so it kind of became, became that question. And maybe that's the reason why they went on hiatus. I'd have to like look it up, but I think I that was confess, part of it. I don't know the answer. I, if I had to pick a, a favor by them, it would be the woods, which was in 2000. Five, I think, but uh, but was the last album they did, and they were like, "Where's Can you go?" Yeah, it sucked because you know, all hands on the big one that you know that came after that, and the Hot Rock. I loved all those. Yeah, albums. the Hot Rock was great as well. Hot Rock yeah. was great, and you but, know, but this one, I guess, again, when we do this sort of list rumination stuff, I is this the one that like firmly puts them on the map? Yes, it's the first yes. Kill Rock Stars. It's the first sound, one with Janet the sound Weiss. had changed a little bit with first Janet one Weiss. With, first yeah. one with the, they went through a series of drummers, John Stumpy Peeps, of course, who blew up on stage. And that's a style top joke, and you didn't laugh at all. <laughs> but it, you know, like a series of drummers, and then they solidified with, uh, with this lineup with Janet Weiss. And I think it was more than just like her showing up to rehearsals on time or whatever. It was like she is a kick-ass drummer. And, and uh, they, 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 I think they said pretty much you know in the press that came out, with dig me out that this completes our sound this you know this this really solidifies our the way we are and a lot i think a lot of people um consider this their first album in a way like the first album that hit their their radar yeah i hadn't listened to this one in a in a long time and i was really struck by uh and this sounds really super obvious but it reminds me of the conversation we had about the ramones which is that there are so many elements that go into trying to decide what kind of music something something is because what when i think of uh, riot girl and bikini kill and things like that <clears throat> that that punk influence is so much more forward um, than you see in sleater kenny and uh, i know you're not going to like this i don't think <laughs> but i'm going to say it anyway you know a lot of these tracks it, it, when just the guitars are playing it's Sonic Youth. I mean, it's it's a post Sonic Youth uh, indie rock world, uh, and it is not until uh, Corinne's vocals come in over the top. Yeah, okay, this is not. <laughs> this is no longer Sonic Youth. But it's like the same thing with the Ramones, right? It's like, well, how is this not? How are they not contemporaries of ACDC, Four Chords, yeah, yeah. flying their way through? Well, the difference is that when Joey Ramone comes in, sounding like he's high and bored out of his skull. that makes it completely just the even if i don't know what he's talking about uh it makes a completely different uh band and here it's definitely not sonic youth by then but they're but the musically there's they're like one of the best indie bands for like a decade i would say yeah i mean it's an incredible string that they had until 2005 i haven't i'll confess i haven't listened to the new one uh, I've, I've listened to a couple tracks and, and it's it's pretty great. You know, I, I think it's more melodic, maybe a, or a bit more mellow or or whatever. But I, I won't give you that much pushback on the influence of Sonic Youth. I mean, far be it for me to say uh, that that's not part of the that they weren't influenced by place. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure they were influenced by Sonic Youth. I don't know if I consider that like I would probably say they're they're just as influenced by you know you know, their contemporaries. I mean, I think they probably took a lot of the Sonic template that was from, you know, Bikini Kill, you know, and 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 just turned that up to 11 and gave it a little bit more production. Hmm. It's hard for me to figure out, like, what their influences were, like, where they came from. 
I've I've read the Wikipedia pages, and I I don't remember them giving any shout outs to anybody to tell you the truth. <laughs> well, I'm telling you what my ears are are yeah. hearing. And yeah. I, I mean, you could point to several different bands that sounded like that, but yeah, they, they were probably all lead back to. Well, I think Janet Weiss is really the the key element here because I mean she's definitely she's a power rock drummer. I mean she's a she's she's a four four Tony Thompson <laughs> like yeah, but that's the, the you know. intricate slightly dissonant guitar right. play. Yeah, I mean, but, that, but you put a backbeat on top of that rather than some you know Sonny Murray influenced free jazz guy like uh, whoever <laughs> the guys in Sonic Youth, and you got yourself a nice little you know semi commercial mix there. Right, that's right. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, which isn't a you know, I mean, I, I love me some polyrhythmic free jazz drumming, but <laughs> that might not be the thing that gets you over the over the commercial hump, even if you're signed to Geffen for some weird reason, because you know the Nirvana's it, and everybody's trying to <laughs> replicate that. Now we're ten years late, or almost ten years later, by the time Dig Me Out comes, and you know you've got. What's nice is that you've got a nice little slow build to. Uh, semi-commercial success rather than yeah. just some sort of weird everybody's what a bizarre time it was right 1991 92 where like even mtv were playing rock actual it was like 120 minutes 24 7 for about like 18 months yeah. and, and supposedly <laughs> that was the lowest ratings mtv ever had <laughs> when they were playing you know i don't know fetching bones we're gonna start sounding like the hate we're gonna start sounding like the hate ashbury guys like you know it was really only 67 it was but it was it was was really only 91 right right well and part of 92 and that was it well i definitely have gone on record saying like that whole like and then the kurt cobain came and all the hair metal went away it's like no yeah but but, uh i think it's much but (laughs) i think it's much more wanted it to be that way i mean that that was partly true wait I'm I'm just backing up yeah, what you yeah. said just a few moments ago. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, I think you know, you know, what's what's important about Sleater Kenny isn't so much like the musical family tree, so much as like that it's three women making like you know rock rock and music, and you know they're unapologetically you know doing that. They're not making any gestures to to you know, male rock mainstream or any, or anything like that. It's, and, um, you know, the, the lyrics are about, are addressing things like that, you know, trying, uh, trying to address personhood and dealing with, you know, gender politics and all that sort of stuff. Right. I mean, that's really the, I mean, the reason why this would be on the top 100 list for entertainment weekly, uh, is, is probably that the reason why this album in particular is on there is I think because this was when this was the fever pitch, the, 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 the this was the height of their press attention. I think because yeah. everything after that was not compared to dig me out so much as saying like, you know, now they're, now they're part of the inner circle of, you know, successful rock bands. That's right. And what do you do with that success? You know, and they talk about being women, just like Beyonce did, right? I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I'm still anxious about later on, but but now these lists are great. I mean, we're doing Sly and the Family Stone. We're getting to talk about Sleater Kenny. We're we're getting to talk about a wide variety of things. Um, and uh, but as we talked about, sometimes they often get picked because they're you know public enemies getting picked because they're talking about the situation of being black in America or mm-hmm. something. Whereas the Ramones are picked because they sniff glue or something. You know, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Although, you know, in fairness, I, I, I hope we don't come across any bands talking about being white in America. <laughs> that's a different list I, I think that's the country list did uh who was the who's the spin art writer who ne- did things for npr woman writer uh she did a great book called weird like us on tra- she did a great review of this album and spin it was like a full pager her you know exploration at in that moment in 1997 about like what sleater kenny you know means to a female rock writer was great she's resurfaced lately with a piece about just you know, just about sexual politics, like in rock, probably in light of the uh, Bill Cosby, um, you know, thing. in relationship to rock. Yeah, like rock critics being a female rock fan, being just a female who's interested in rock music. You oh. know, I, I don't think it's a newsflash to say, yeah, you might be objectified sometimes, mm. all the time. You know. Uh, I was, well, I was just trying to silently ask if you was a second track from the album. Oh, yeah, let's do a second. I thought you were giving me the finger <laughs> oh, English terms. Oh, yeah, oh, you're like, wrapping up. Yeah, let's let's do another track. And I think I'll probably, this one is, is a, it's the second track on the album. So this one is often cited as people's favorite tracks. And it's one of mine, too. It's a little bit more melodic. It's called One More Hour. That was one more hour, Sleater Kenny, second track off of Digging Out. It's great. What more can I say? It's great. It's great. <laughs> Ann Powers is the name of the writer I was talking about. You look up Ann Powers, Sleater Kinney, Spin Magazine. It's a great piece that addresses, I think, particularly like the like the gender politics significance of Sleater Kinney in that moment in 1997. Um, she has a great book called Weird Like Us, My Bohemian America. It came out in 2001 and just talked about... You know, people like us. She was our generation growing up, mm. loving Husker Du and you know other indie bands, and just trying to navigate your way through mainstream America. Which, uh, well, so, yeah. I'm glad you found her name and her title. We should, yeah. She wrote for definitely ref people who are wrote the good books. Yeah, she wrote for New York Times. She wrote for Spin. I don't know the quite the chronology. Now she's uh, part of the Experience Music Project. She lives like I think in Seattle and writes for NPR a lot. Uh, Ann Powers was was doing the good work for you know twenty years ago, trying to you know talk about and and to hype up and celebrate Sleater Kinney back at the, back in the day. She it didn't mean much, didn't uh, need that much uh, persuasion for me to pick this album up. I mean, you listen to those, these tracks and you're just like, this is some strange, cool, great stuff. Mm. You know, that's right. All right, so that's it for me. 
Awesome. Next up is you're going to pick something from 2002 or 2003. The hazy days, such such great years in music, and uh, I really, 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 truly. You're going to give me any hints here? I love hints. And uh, and and no, not uh, not one hint. Not not in terms of hit hints, but uh, but the, the the years are wrong. Oh, it's, it's uh, nine, 98. Oh, you have to pick something from 98. Yeah. Oh. It's going to be from 98. It's going to be from ni- That's your hint. Great. Thanks yeah. a lot. Anything from from there. Did it sell more than 10,000 copies? I don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. <laughs> only when you bring it, only when you bring it up do well, I. I'm not like Rick Dees. I'm, <laughs> I'm just trying to help people out here. Like whether or not it's sold or not. not <laughs> All right. So when we get back. There should be at least a minimum amount of selling for <laughs> no. albums any that we talk I about. Just, you know, it's, I think it's of note that this album sold, you know, 100,000 copies. Uh, you know, is it only 100,000 copies or... Uh, you know, hundred thousand copies—that's a lot. I—I I don't know. I don't know anymore. And who knows now? If you sell a hundred thousand copies in your first week, you're in the top ten. Haas, <laughs> that's right. So let's let's keep it in perspective. <laughs> Too much perspective. Good point. All right, so we'll be back after these words. All right, here we go. You playing it? No. Oh, um, we're doing. Oh, wow. People, the the people kind of know I, what I, what's coming. I thought you were going to play a track. You're going to set you're going to set it up. Tell us how much it sold. <laughs> I'm going to describe the genre oh. first. Oh boy, the year was 1982. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> because I already talked about the genre too much today. I mean, given that both um, Sleater Kinney and Air, as vastly different as they are, came out basically in the same year, although one year apart. Um, Keep talking. <laughs> Just rambling. Uh, n- n- nonetheless, that means that something else. Ha- that my p- kicker pick, your kicker ha- pick, has to come from basically the same the same time period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and given that I waxed on about electronic music earlier, wax on, brother. And then I also waxed on about how electronic music doesn't get enough credit. <laughs> this is this is one of the reasons I brought in. Um, uh, I feel love for the for our disco. Uh, episode <laughs> the various artists oh you had to do the uh saturday night fever soundtrack so i don't know you're throwing me off here you're, yeah. you're trying to throw me off the scent i'm not trying to throw you off any scent uh back back to idm and today when i looked at 98 and i man i was i was listening to and buying lots of music <laughs> during that period uh and there are a lot of great albums made, but this one immediate like I was that's the one I'm gonna go with. Journey got back together, I think, around this time for like one last hurrah with Steve Perry. With Steve Perry, that's right. Uh-huh. Did, did they perform O'Sherry on tour, I wonder? I th- if they did, I hope they did Foolish Heart as well. It's a strong track from Street Talk. <laughs> it's poetry. Yeah. It's poetry. <laughs> I'm gonna talk about 19- That whole album's great, by the way. <laughs> 1998's uh, Boards of Canada. Oh, yeah, I can see you doing that. Music Has the Right to Children was the album. They had put out a couple EPs before this, but this was the album that I first got a hold of and what glued me to them instantly. (laughs) Yeah. I was already listening to IDM bands that I mentioned earlier. They're IDM? Ish, yeah. You'd have to put them in that category, I think. 
I, I sort of lumped them with British sea power because a friend of mine just gave me a, you know, CDs with both artists, but they were just well, contemporaries. They weren't the same. Just contemporaries, yeah. British sea power reminds me uh, of a resurgence of Echo and the Bunnymen, which is, a, well, that's a great recommendation. <laughs> I think yeah. a good reason for, to listen to British Sea Power. But no, no, no. No, no guitars boards of in, in Boards of Canada. Are they from Canada? They are they're Scottish. But <laughs> spent some time in Canada. And so actually they got their name from um, the film boards of, of Canada. Uh, and so what they did particularly well and what really appealed to me the first time I heard them uh, was the way in which they took um, music samples from all of those science films that we watched from the 70s. This, not the actual, although sometimes they use the voiceover stuff, but mostly the song uh, sounds in the back. So again, it's this sort of this appeal of the sort of retrofuturism, you know, the songs of, of, of my childhood, but then mixed with a particularly um, uh, hip hop beats, very unlike air, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but, but also chopped and dissected in certain ways that, uh, that evolved very slowly over the course of the song. So in previous episodes, when we talked about NWA and said, we love NWA, but you know, not big fans of hip hop acts where the song never changes. It's like be- looped. behind it's just looped and it just for four minutes, the same thing. Uh, boards of Canada is a slow developer. So we're not going to get uh, a lot of that feel given the constraints of what we do in the podcast here. Um, but Nonetheless, it's something sort of constantly changing and evolving uh, over the time. What album, uh, like, is this their first album, second album? Their first album, of course, is We Are Boards of Canada, correct? <laughs> it's just self-titled Boards of Canada. <laughs> it isn't, no. We no. are the Boards of Canada and you suck. <laughs> like the meat men. Right, no. This is this is the I, um, this is the first proper album. They had like a, a long EP right before mm-hmm. this one. And they um, signed on to Warp, which is the important uh, electronic uh, label uh, for the 90s. Even though bands like uh, Grizzly Bear now signed with them, but mm-hmm. but the big album company out of the UK. <laughs> so let me give you a sense of uh, how they feel. I think the best uh, example, how they feel. I'll spark up my, uh, my vaporizer right now. <laughs> This is called, of course, Turquoise Hexagon Sun. <laughs> no, it's not. It, it really is. But here it is.
Province of Canada. BOC. BOC. There they are. Uh, an amalgamation of my childhood and adulthood <laughs> all put together. You can hear over those uh, chords. Uh, you know, half of them uh, played by themselves later, trying to replicate uh, the feeling of those um, 70s science films that we used mm-hmm. to watch. And, and that's how magma becomes rock. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Is it? Bling, bling, bling thing going on in the background well, i keep going back and to uh, slow yeah. um hip-hop beats which are slowly changing over the course of the song but go ahead oh i i just keep going back to like handsome boy modeling school and all the prince paul you know uh you know compilations or whatever with guest people and stuff and th- th- those are some of the things that i i love from and i think it's from the same period pretty much from the late 90s early aughts where it's it's like one song goes into the other um, hmm. Yeah, this is this is great stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I want to uh, play another song uh, off this album, but then I want to back up to uh, what they did just a couple of years ago. But since we're uh, it kind of pertains to uh, our podcast in in specific, but um, the other thing I want to play that gives a completely different feel of what else is on this album is Spotify and their. I think this is like part anyway. of the narrative through line of this podcast is us trying to navigate Spotify's often wonky <laughs> user interface. It is. We should switch. Don't you subscribe to Google? I do. Google Music. Yeah. We should I'll put that up there. You can Plug. sign in. Yeah. I'd like to thank them for giving me a f- full year of free, <laughs> <laughs> as, free subscription. As well as Bloomsbury for. <laughs> That's right. You know. All the th- 33 thirds. Anyway, this song is called uh, Telephasic Workshop. Of course, the question <laughs> you is: just, You just made that up. On I did. Top of I didn't. Head. This one is octagonal, freeform style face. <laughs> so when you make instrumental music, I don't know if there are arguments between the two guys afterwards. Like, no way are we calling it that. <laughs> we'll just combine them. <laughs> anyway, a little bit, a little bit darker and feel, and not, and not so. Tell green. me the tell me the name of this track again. Telephasic workshop. <laughs> We need to sample that. Thank you. 
All right, that was your favorite telephasic workshop. Telephasic workshop. Good, good guess. Anyway, uh, this one a lot more beat heavy, a lot more clipped beats. Uh, the vocal samples used as percussive uh, sounds rather than anything discernible as voices, um, and and then sort of way in the background still this sort of uh, retro futuristic. Um, Keyboard. keyboard. I think sound. I might be a philistine when it comes to these kinds of records because I really like girl talk, where I can totally recognize every single one of those <laughs> That's right. samples. That's Bon Jovi, <laughs> right? Yeah. Exactly. And I get all excited, like yes, yes. <laughs> but this, you know, the, the they're probably sampling stuff or obscure records, right? They're crate diggers, and and so I don't recognize the stuff, and so I tend to think of it as like original compositions. But, you know, with something, well, Girl Talk couldn't even, they wouldn't be able to actually release their record. I think they just put it out for free. And there's there's lots, you know, Danger Mouse, of course, with the, the gray, gray album, album right? Yeah. right? So so for me, it's like I want to have my cake and eat it, too. I'll, I'll diss, you know, <laughs> as if it mattered, the, the backing tracks of NWA at Al for using, like, song loops or whatever. But at the same time, I can recognize what tracks they are and then when it comes to the, the <laughs> more sam cook right, yeah. right, when it comes to like the girl talk danger mouse things i find that that's really interesting because you can actually ac- uh, recognize mm-hmm. the source material but uh but yeah this well, this this uh you know this was uh definitely in the air a lot of among the uh, the record nerd aficionados you yeah. know boards of canada was definitely something that people you know mentioned a lot and i think i had it yeah, yeah you know and it, it, in the small world that it inhabited, they were they were pretty influential on, on people that I could mention, but that no one would know. <laughs> <laughs> who like who? I mean, and also when you say they, it's it's two people, right? Uh, two, yeah, it turned out brothers uh, later. Two two Scottish uh, brothers. They're brothers as well. Yeah. Um, but it, no, but not not really samples. I mean, so I think that's the uh, is it the point? It's not like you would have listened to this and said, "Oh, that's that was the Doobie uh, Brothers." That was the. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the that was the film that I watched when I was eight years old right. about how plants grow, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, the whole point is is is, the, um, is that feel of of it taps in. I mean, I, I don't know if the kids today don't have those movies that we had back then. Um, but, but yeah, it's definitely a soundtrack of like being dazed out in school and having the lights turned out and these, you know, strange keyboard songs would come on for these films we were watching, you know, <laughs> in the seventies cause they were from, you know, couldn't, they were modern, you know? Uh, so, so you no, know, you're not supposed to recognize whatever sample is. And like I said, um, even with the keyboards are trying to, when they're not sampling this thing directly, they're trying to sound like. Uh, those films sounded. The other reason I wanted to, I mean, I would have picked this anyway. It's, it's one of my favorite groups. It's also in my, I probably my, eh, I don't know, my third favorite album, but given that they're dates, um, this is also the one that introduced me to them and sort of what put them on the map. Mm-hmm. Um, but the brothers, since you asked though, they were very secretive. They would not give any interviews. And if they, if they had a photo, it was like the sun was behind him and it was, it would glare and you couldn't see what they looked like, you know, and they were always, that's the way I would do it. If I, you know, I, you know, it's so much less work. That's right. You know, there was in some Arctic place, you know, it's like, <laughs> it, it sounds like they're doing it in the snow someplace, you know? Okay. The other reason I wanted to bring up boards of Canada though, was speaking of hiatuses, <laughs> I think 2005 was actually their last uh, album. And, uh, Yes, there were people like me who, after the, it was like 2007 or something, and we started to go, 
are they gone? Because they didn't really give interviews and oh, know what I they see. look yeah, like yeah. and everything. And they had this official website, but it was just it just remained blank. <laughs> there was nothing there. And yes, I was that nerd who kept going back there, and they were you know it was nothing. Every other like annual my annual checkup on the boards of Canada website. <laughs> you guys doing anything? No, nothing. Just like. Various graphics burbling mm. around. Nothing. Oh, that reminds me of another mid-year pick I was maybe going to pick uh, last episode. The Wrens. Uh, oh, right. Meadowlands. Yeah. From Jersey, yeah. And they've been on the... <laughs> and then they had maybe one or two EPs before that. They've been gone ever since. I love that album. And I... Tra- yeah. It's sad a, that you didn't break it. But. Yeah, it, I should have. Uh, <laughs> I should have picked so many things other than Josh Rouse. That's horrible. Sorry, Josh, for no, listening. No, I liked it. But, uh, but, they, but you know, they did the same thing. And they have like a Twitter account and everything. And they were like, we're still on hiatus. It's like Jesus, <laughs> don't rub it in here. Confirming it, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, but so anyway, uh, in 2013 on Record Day, mm-hmm. uh, Record Store Day. I'm no, sorry, Record Store Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, in New York, someone found a Boards of Canada 12 inch, just one. And Get the, out of no, here! That's some Wu Tang shit right there. <laughs> someone, someone's like, I, I did. I thought they were they were finished or whatever. And right? Was a copyright. 2000, what, 13 or whatever? And, like, I, and I can't find it right now, but I will insert here. <laughs> when you got home and put on the 12-inch, it was about a minute and a half of, like, distorted radio noise. And finally, that sort of, like, keyboardy sound that Boards makes. And then someone in a robotic voice says a code number. Just a code number. And then the whole thing's over. <laughs> okay. Now that's music, baby. Oh but no! No, what was did, so, you, did anybody decipher what the code number? What meant? was so amazing though is then is that when we went to the website, there was like uh, a sixteen-digit um, blank code space on the website, <laughs> <laughs> and so then then there were reports. I think of in Paris or something. You mm-hmm. know, someone found a different twelve-inch, just one twelve-inch. With just the, another part of the, oh my god, it was, just, it was one code, but people had different parts. Exactly. Of it. So it totally depended on people still coming through the boards of Canada vinyl racks or whatever, you know, in in, in different countries, uh, just to see what they were up to. And I'm sure at the moment that the guy in New York found it, people were in London, like you know, going through the boards uh-huh. of Canada rack trying to find the one, and. Uh, but, you know, have you ever been to a record store on Record Store Day? I mean, we're in the m- middle of fucking nowhere, so. <laughs> none of the- with with you, sweetheart. I have. You have? In town, on Record Store Day. Yeah, but it, they don't they don't participate. Our local vinyl store doesn't, doesn't <laughs> that participate. That didn't mean we didn't go. Right, right. So the they usually just have like a one shelf, like a one, you know, row of yeah. Record Store Day releases. So that meant some nerd at like other music or wherever this was like flipped through and they're like, you know, okay, you know, I don't know, Anvil, (laughs) what? Boards of Canada buys it. There's so many ifs and thens to this thing. Did they decipher the code eventually? Well, I love that that part of it depends on that sort of uh, physical, like analog, like I found this album, I can't believe it's a new boards thing. Oh yeah, it's both maddening and awesome at the same time. (laughs) Get it home and say, what is this shit (laughs) for two minutes? And by the way, I don't know, do you know this uh, thing called the Kone Project? Um, They they finally released this uh, back in the 90s. It's really 
fascinating listening for people like me who listen to crazy stuff. Uh, but they had recorded uh, between the wars uh, in Europe uh, people saying various codes on shortwave radio. And so uh, there are some really fascinating things where it's like, you know, it's all the haze of tuning between radio stations and then someone coming on and saying, Eins, vier, sank. Right? Like going through like a, and that was German and French together, but nonetheless, like saying these things. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's children who are saying the codes oh. and things. It's like, and it's really creepy because you think this is some of this stuff is like spy stuff. Like what, what code is someone getting off the shortwave radio <laughs> and what are they being told to do? But at any rate, uh, the boards of Canada thing sound, sounds very much uh, like that. We'll insert just a little pit right here of the Kone project. But at any rate, <laughs> this is your segment. there, Pookie-poo. <laughs> here, here, here I am. It reminds me of the Monty Python joke where there was the lethal German joke. <laughs> that, that that's right. It was so lethal that you know people could only say you know so many words in German, and then it was you know passed off to the next English officer who said the next part of the German joke, and it was so funny people fell out of trees and died. <laughs> it's such a great bit. Guess what? The the Kone project is actually on Spotify. Spotify. Yeah, Spotify. Yeah, Spotify. So we'll let's hear just a little bit right here. I'm not sure if this is the one that I would want. Okay, here we go. November, uniform. November, uniform. November, uniform. November, uniform. November uniform November uniform November uniform November uniform Okay, so that's the so that's the analog- released in '97. Uh, my understanding is mostly mostly Cold War uh, type okay. stuff. Oh, yeah. okay. So it's like Did I say between the wars. Yeah, you said between. I don't know. Like- <laughs> We're always between wars, I suppose. But so uh, this is the anal- So this was. Uh- this is your reference point for the uh, for the way that well it might have been because it was released I, I, in ninety seven right and the boards of Canada people are probably hip to the same weird ass shit that you were listening to <laughs> exactly as well. dude this is some of the best stuff I've heard in a long time it turns out they were just recording what was on the on the radio <laughs> people reading codes for spy stuff uh, but at any rate so uh, to answer your your burning question. <laughs> Why? Oh no, uh, no! Like, did it ever result in the release it, of an album? It maybe, did, but or? so it depended on. Like I said, though, so the, the whole analog, like I've got myself a record, but then going on to the interwebs, right, and saying uh, I have this one thing that gives me this number, number of numbers. They probably had to Skype the French guy. Yeah, and so then they all up. They click, they create a website, of course, and then they tried all these different mix matches of the code. And when you opened it, it was like 
you know, last album was 2005. Now it's 2013. New Boards of Canada. No shit. Released in the pre-order page for the new album. Oh, it wasn't just like they put it up for free. They actually put up a pre-order. <laughs> and they did one other really uh, oh, very uh, professional. groovy thing uh, after that, which was that they uh, just posted a picture. Uh, it was a very distinctive picture. It seemed like um, deserty, but uh, I think it was like a, like a disused uh, water park or something. It, and that was it. And it just gave a date. <laughs> And so, anyway, finally, the interweb people were like, wait a minute, that is, you know, uh, the water park that was shut down in California, and here's the city. And so then, you know, all the people, like, showed up on this date, uh, and they brought out these two gigantic speakers <laughs> and and played the album so, at this park. But, you know, it was like the computer. You like on, you know, it was started out on uh, record store day. And then it's like uh, the interwebs figuring out what is this picture of to go hear the thing before they released it. It has to speak to the very millennial desire to have a physical object. Yeah. That isn't mass produced, you know, insert Walter Benjamin rift here where the aura of the phys- of the physical object is special that it's not just some mass produced thing that it actually refers re- directly back to the the original work or or something like that right yeah yeah and, well and appeals to um people who have a lot of communi- free time communi- and money to, community and community yeah 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 hey cry, let's crack this code together <laughs> We've got the barn. We've got the talent. That's right. And I, and I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you Scooby kids. Yes, exactly. And the gang. The Scooby gang. Sorry. That would have been very, you know, like, I, I, would, I would be really into that as a as if I were a person, like an artist or whatever, and put it out. But then, like, maybe people didn't figure it out, and that would be the end of that. <laughs> that, would, that would be the worst. <laughs> that really would be. Well, I guess we're not going to put out the album then. That's right. Why do we pick Denmark? <laughs> right. Just the one other yeah. country. <laughs> I bet you, I bet so you, Eurocentric. I bet you that. that happens, actually. <laughs> that has to. Anyway, so I love Boards of Canada anyway, but it was great to... Uh, tell you about this great re- record store day uh it's 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 about albums this podcast and it's about records yeah and record yeah. stores was and the album good is the it's album great. Good? it's great it's great it's great it well you know <laughs> it'd be great if it was like choir like, here you know it'd be great if it was just like shark sandwich you know it's an awful album <laughs> like the right. second eddie and the cruisers album or something <laughs> it's actually not that good <laughs> That would have been the, instead of like the a, best ending. Instead of, instead of a sun-drenched, a sun-drenched uh, polar landscape, it's like a smell the glove type cover. With, you know, <laughs> they've taken a totally different direction. That would be great if they totally took a different direction. Like just Muzak. <laughs> Which some people would say this is already close. Yeah. <laughs> to the- <laughs> I didn't say it. You said it. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we'll, all right. Be, we'll be back and we won't have any secret codes at all. I promise. That's a promise from me.
Yes. Just when we're talking about we're in an album era with no singles, we're going to a biggest. Supposed okay. to talk over All right, this. I'll stop. This uh, it's throwing me. I just want to get up and dance that was to it. Production. I was just trying I to get some production values into this thing. Uh, for those of you who can't decipher that, that was uh, <laughs> a version of <laughs> new <laughs> new orders. Blue Monday. Huh? How does it feel? How does it feel? Oh man, I've been listening to this the album. I have to pre- present, and uh, wow. Wow. I, I am fascinated to know what you're going to make of Roxy Music. I'm fascinated. For I, your pleasure. I fascinate myself in what I'm going to make of that. It is a weird album, man. Is, it is weird. Is there pleasure involved for, for you for me, so far? Yes. Yes. In the second half, especially. Some of the stuff is, is great. Uh, I have to say that my five and seven-year-old daughters are quite freaked out by the album. <laughs> So and they, so have, be and they have already heard some stuff. So so, so what we're talking about is yes. that in epi- our next episode, episode eighty eight, let's explain ourselves. We will continue plowing through the eighties with. Well, your- you're gonna you you are gonna kick it off. <laughs> oh, that's right. With Roxy Music's nineteen seventy three album for your pleasure. Mm-hmm. That's such a Roxy Music album title. I'm excited for this next week. And uh, yeah, I get new orders, power, corruption, and lies. From nineteen oh sorry yes from nineteen eighty three, Blue yeah. Monday was stuck on there. <laughs> oh, uh, for and, the, and for I imagine that's like your least favorite track from the album. Is it? Is it? I, I, we're required. To, well, you already sang it, so we're, we don't have to play it or even talk about it next time. <laughs> oh man, that was rough, man. It is absolutely one of my least favorite songs <laughs> on that album. <laughs> You're like straight from Central Casting as the contrarian record nerd. It's like ridiculous. Do you own any greatest hits albums like at all? Uh, well, I haven't done this yet, but one of my uh, one of my best friends who uh, sends me uh, uh, mix CDs sometimes, and, and I'm listening to a song. I'm like, man. You know that song by uh, whatever it was. That's a great song. He's like. That's not even on the best album. <laughs> like, I feel like he's always giving me second tier stuff somehow. Right. Like, what? Why? Just give me the really good songs then, <laughs> not the next to good ones. Oh, man. But at any rate, and I will have the mid year kicker pick, and I'm going to have something from a nice, nice. Oh, that's a nice, sweet, sweet you're, year. You're going to be 19- paralyzed. Se- I am going to be paralyzed. I am paralyzed. 1978. You're pre-paralyzed. Come, pre- Come on. Although I know it, it has to be. I know what it has to be. No, well, my picks, at least, are corrective picks. My picks are saying, hey, you record critic people who haven't picked from the following multiple genres. I mean, yeah. if I had something from the early... That's 70- what I just did. With Boards if, of Canada? Yes. Are you saying that rock critics don't like Boards of Canada? Yes. Really? I'm saying that electronic music is completely overlooked on this list. Mm. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking more along the lines of like prog rock and things like that. I mean, actually, like with Roxy Music, I'm thinking like, you know, this is like something from 1973. I mean, why not the Yes album? <laughs> like, why not? You know, why not? <laughs> why not? You know. Uh, so, so I, I, I'm definitely going to try to at least uh, give some guesses of of, of, why, of why this will be picked. Yeah. As far as the top 100 album, probably for fashion sense and for influence or name checks. Um, but, you know, musically speaking, it's it's a, it's a pretty great album as well. 
the the trouble is is that there's more than a hundred albums out there, and so then you have to like <laughs> that's true. Then you have to exclude. Canon making is just as much about exclusion as inclusion, as we mm. know. Mm. Mm. And so, uh, so yeah. So my, I think when I have a nice sweet you know year from 1978, it gives me an opportunity to you know give that corrective. Yeah. Uh, you know, thick. Crack on the knuckles. Crack on the knuckles, you... you <laughs> Tastemakers. <laughs> Robert Crisco people. So that's episode 88. I'm really looking forward to it, as I am looking forward uh, to presenting a Dolly Parton album from 1971. I'm how, looking forward to that. I don't know how we're going to do that podcast, but I'm looking forward to it. I mean, why not Redheaded Stranger? Because I, I already said this already. Like, Redheaded Stranger is like the dark side of the moon of country, and it's nowhere on any of these lists. It's crazy. <laughs> Fucking country concept album. You should, let's play a song anyway. From what to, uh, as our outro here right now? No, 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 no. When we get to Dolly Parton, I might because it's. Eh, I don't know. I think Redhead Strangers a couple of years afterwards, but but uh, you know, come on, it's Dolly Parton. I'm not going to diss Dolly Parton, even though I just did. <laughs> <laughs> I, did I didn't do that. That was my evil twin. And then way back in the end of the '80s, I've got uh, the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper. But anyway, that's not. That's 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 talk for two episodes from now. We didn't do a swap for Sergeant Peppers. It's not on the list any higher than this. That's come on. It's that's a, ridiculous. It's, it's willful. You know what's that, hilarious is that's that some contrarian crap right there, man. On the Entertainment Weekly list, there are four Beatles albums, and Sergeant Pepper is not one of them. This is the Rolling Stone backlash. I think this is you know. Sgt. Pepper's number one album of all. Well, let's stop this because... <laughs> Have you ever seen the site uh, called like the 500 Worst Rolling Stone Record Reviews of All Time? It's this guy's like obsessive list where he, he quotes like from, you know, so let's say like a Led Zeppelin review from 1972 and like, you know, says right. how wrong they were and, and all that sort of stuff. And it's what's, what's kind of funny and then talks about like what in the record, the Rolling Stone record guide, which I got like every year... Like what? How the stars went up and down, like the star ranking. So we might have gotten, you know, like, oh, let's say, like a Black Sabbath record, for instance. You know, uh, I'm sure got like iffy reviews in the at the time. But now, if you if you you know open the record star store guide or or you know the the star rankings will go cr- sort of creep up. Hmm. So I I, th- I think it's kind of honest that way. I mean, like you can they don't people don't admit that they were wrong or anything like that. If you look at Robert Crisco's, you know, like his own little mini site where he has all his record reviews, he revises the grades sometimes, the letter grades. Oh, really? Is he? But he doesn't say, "But I was wrong." He just says, "Revised to a minus from a B plus or whatever." <laughs> <laughs> oh, to have that kind of time just to he oh, might- that was no B plus. <laughs> <laughs> it's an yeah. extra half letter grade. Exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's more like trying the, the to save The zombies your... did some extra credit. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They handed in a longer paper, and so, you know. Yeah. Hey, did you hear the zombies are going to tour, and they're going to play Odyssey and Oracle? No. Like, live, like in its no. entirety? Yeah. I mean, this is one of those moments where I think I think it's just Colin Blundstone and Rod Argent. Yes. I think it's just the two of them. And it's a couple people from Argent. I think some people they hired. <laughs> I don't think it's just the just the two of them, but it was a Craigslist kind of. I saw the Craigslist ad. <laughs> Brit invasion band looking for <laughs> serious in- inquiries only. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Everything but keys. If the ad's still up, there's still a vacancy. <laughs>
All right, so All right. thus endeth the uh, episode of the first of the 80s, 89. Yeah. I think we did a great job. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being here. And uh, subscribe and and review us on the various sites, but only if it's going to be a good review. <laughs> we should have a send-off, like, keep us in your top 100. That kind of thing. That kind of thing. Yeah. You, I think you just did it, though. In that sexy, you know, like, keep us in your top 100. <clears throat> keep us... <laughs> <coughs> Keep us in your top 100. You said like you're going to shit yourself. <laughs> Keep us in your top 100. Keep us in your top 100. Eric Hurts for Thunderbird Wine. <laughs> Paola. Paola is available. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Coke or free records or both. <laughs> All right, we're out of here. We'll see you next time on Album Oriented. Album oriented. I